say no more. Thank you, PJ. Not well done, but done. It's great to see you all. Today, we're going to be looking at Psalm 37, just in way of introduction. You know, today is a very somber day, particularly for those who remember what happened 21 years ago on this day, September 11, 2001. An act of terror was inflicted on nearly 2,000 innocent civilians. So for me, a day like today is a reminder about the cruelties and suffering of our present sinful world. We all have suffered to varying degrees, especially as we get older and are confronted by bigger and more complex problems. A common issue that certainly some here have faced in the past, I think a common example is, let's say, office politics, uh, where maybe you're singled out not due to performance, but due to drama that may not even directly involve you. You know, we can all think about trials that we've gone through and are maybe going through currently. Four years ago, I found myself in a situation just like that. Uh, I worked in DC at a nonprofit and the, the nature of that's inherently political. Um, you know, this organization existed to promote public policy through advocacy, so it's, it feels good, the work you're doing. I was one of eight regional directors, so we broke up the country into eight different sections, and it was our job to oversee performance in those areas. And uh, I had Alabama to Florida up to North Carolina, so that was fun working with the Bible Belt. Um, working in this field um, is inherently stressful and political, but one day the worst version of events that I could have imagined unfolded. Uh, my, my peers, my colleagues, uh, decided that uh, they, they did not approve of their supervisor's oversight of them and essentially formed a plan to have him removed. And uh, I was approached discreetly asking if I'd like to be a part of this and to feed into the narrative. And I completely fundamentally disagreed with their narrative that... Um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't right, and even if they had concerns, there's a way to go about it. Either way, I remember their, their, their plot was essentially foiled. Their, their attempt to undermine their supervisor was not able to come to fruition the way they had imagined, but uh, the supervisor was very disheartened and ultimately decided to, to resign from his role. And I remember in that moment feeling angry, just this right, I, I would say, maybe it's not, but I, I felt what I thought was sort of this righteous indignation that a, a just man, so to speak, in his role doing his job was victimized, for lack of a better word. And uh, I wanted to do something about it. I wanted to do something about it. Everyone on this earth who's ever lived and will ever live will endure some sort of hardship that brings you to the brink of yourself, whether you are a believer or not. The world around us is a restless, hurried, and fretful one. People are constantly seeking how they might get one up on someone else, how they might advance their own desires and ambitions, how they might provide for their own insecurities. Those things can be true of us. But though we live in a world that tempts us to rush along with it in a frenzy of panic and hurriedness, to live and act on its timelines and after its manners, God commands believers 
to live and act on his timeline. God in his sovereignty commands us to respond to adversity differently than the world, which ultimately reveals our great neediness, and he does so out of an abundance of mercy. This prompts us to behave a certain way. So now please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 37. We're going to read verses 1 through 7 just for a bit of context. But beginning with verse 1, we read, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Trust in the, uh, dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. And our primary text for tonight, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way by the person who carries out evil plans. This passage of scripture naturally reads very comfortingly for many, but uh, I'll be honest, for me, this was a little more frustrating at first because I like to think of myself as a man of action. Like, I want to do something. I want to step in. I want to, I want to fix something that's broken. Or uh, in this case that I mentioned with my colleagues, I wanted to intervene and, and, and right the wrong that had just been done. But this passage is telling us that we need to cease. Stop. Rest. Worry not. So inherently... For someone like me, if you're anything like that, this can be hard to swallow as a text, but what I'd like to do is to walk you through a few bullet points that helped change my heart on this, and I'd like to take you on that journey that God used to call my own restless, hurried, fretful heart. So allow us now to explore three important truths from this text together that demonstrate this assertion to be true. Number one, God is sovereign. He is sovereign as, as evidenced by his foresight. The second phrase in verse 7 implies God's foresight that he is looking ahead of us and providing for our needs. From Proverbs 16, 1 through 2, we get a further glimpse of God's sovereignty, and it's littered throughout Scripture. But this text says, The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord ways motives. He's in control. He is sovereign and sitting on his throne. Nothing that happens happens outside of him ordaining it. Number two, he's sovereign as evidenced by his promises. And throughout this text, we see that God has promised to provide for our needs. And he's sovereign as evidenced by his execution of the, the, the fulfillment of those promises. God has already provided for our greatest need, salvation from sin and restoration to him. He is also to continue to provide for our every need. And my wife and I look back at um, the few years that we've been married and see how God's perfect providence has played out in a way we couldn't have planned, we couldn't have made happen. There were so many stresses and worries, but as we, as we learn to trust in him for our needs, uh, as PJ mentioned this morning, the more you exercise faith, the more you have to look back on to strengthen your faith in the future. And that's something we can all look back on our lives and say that God has provided for our needs. So we know he's sovereign. And it reminds me of the hymn that goes, whatever my God ordains is right. Um, we, can, we can take comfort in that. Second, 
Man is frail. In the book of Romans, we read that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think as we examine our hearts and lives, this becomes abundantly obvious. Furthermore, there's a couple things to think about, about how those in the text who are the wicked, so to speak, versus the justified, there's, there's different goals here. There's different visions. For the wicked, their sight is on what is short-term and immediate gratification. They're controlled typically by anxiety. They're driven by that, by a desire to have control over their circumstances, by their own pride, perhaps, as well. Their desire to be seen or perceived um, as something great. But those that are justified, the Lord teaches us how to wait, how to set our hearts on those things that are longer term, that where gratification is delayed. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks to that about how um, we, um, if Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins, but those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than everyone. So what I draw from that text is that we, we forego the pleasures of this life and our desires and our wills in this life because we're looking beyond uh, to an anticipated day when Christ fulfills our greatest needs. So our shortcomings are abundantly obvious and clear, and our frailties and weaknesses are inherent to our nature as sinful human beings. But number three, God is gracious and merciful. God provides a way out from your own sin and the consequences of other sin that's imposed upon you. You do not have to avenge yourself because God will right wrongs. The ball, that ball is in his court. Perceived injustice can inspire us to, uh, uh, can inspire a desire to act to correct it. I remember going through that experience in DC and um, as I meditated upon it and prayed, I, God's word, uh, a portion of God's word came to mind that I didn't quite understand until that moment. That when it says that he will provide a way for you to escape, in this moment, that was for me to do nothing. That in this specific set of circumstances, it was for me simply to trust in him and allow him to take care of the bigger picture. My job was to continue doing right through my position and to to be a good testimony to those around me. God provides the mercy and grace for us to endure suffering and affliction so that we might sing in the dungeon as Paul and Silas did. So God is sovereign. We are frail. And yet we're responsible for our response to that, which is to obey the Lord, to rest and wait on him. What does resting in the Lord look like? And how do we as believers wait patiently for him? We are to seek after him, draw near unto him. In practical terms, for the unbelieving, turn from sin and turn to Christ. Recognize your desperate dependence on his salvation of your soul and place the dependency of your soul's salvation in his hands. And then for believers, pray. 
without ceasing, not vainly or repetitiously, but fervently, importunately, expectantly. We can have an expectation. God has told us that we can wait on him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 through 8, 15 through 18 says, see, it, see to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Another thing we can do is to read and meditate on God's word. Psalm 1-2, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So as we read the word, we take it home with us, right? It's so easy to be doing devotions or even listen to a portion of a message where um, it didn't quite stick. But when you take what you read or what, when God's word is, is spoken and preached, and you chew it over throughout the day, um, and then exhort and be exhorted by Christian brothers and sisters as we approached that blessed day. Hebrews 10.25, Scripture says, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Give God glory and praise for his many blessings, not least of which is our salvation from sin, and restoration to him through the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ. And, and do that publicly in worship with other believers. And apart from that, in testimony with unbelievers. But ultimately, why? Why all of this? At the end of the day, why, why should we do this and not the alternative of not waiting? Um, why be still and wait on the Lord? As PJ pointed out this morning, the answer to that question is in James 1, 4. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So to answer this, why I'm going to just completely steal PJ's points from this morning. Realize that all trials are tests. Testing produces faith and endurance. Endurance affects maturity and completeness like Christ. And the value of maturity is greater in value than the trial going away. These are strong whys. These are reasons why it's worthwhile and it's good. It's what God calls us to do. And, and we have the expectation that uh, since he's sovereign and we are frail, in his mercy and grace, he provides for our every need. And he brings us through those trials so that we might be drawn closer to him. Thank you.